Back in November, Manchester City and Chelsea played out a Premier League classic, a fluctuating, pulsating clash that swung this way and that before ending 4-4. While City have since got their title push back on track, Chelsea find themselves seven points off the top six, 13 away from the Champions League spots. Can Mauricio Pochettino's men bridge the gap as they did in November or will they suffer another humbling reality check? I'm Kevin Hatchard and this is Football Only Better. No reality checks needed for our top tipping team, starting with Mark O'Hare, who's been busy all week, crunching the numbers in the Bet Cave, of course. Uh, Mark, we've talked a lot about City recently, but in terms of Chelsea's recent form, very confusing. Beat Villa <laughs> in the FA Cup, but some of the recent league performances have been utterly dreadful. Where are they actually at? Or does nobody know? <laughs> I, I don't know, is the answer to that. Um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you saw the first half against Crystal Palace on Monday night, it was utterly abysmal. Um, go to Selhurst Park and play a team who are shorn of, of their three star, standout stars, really. Um, your odds on favourites are expected to go there and um, and impress. And they did anything but, really. They looked so pedestrian at times. It was only really in the second half that they, they sprung into life a little bit. But um, th they're a confusing team, is the word you sort of described them as. And I think that's absolutely fair enough because individually there is some real standout quality in that side and when it does come together as it has done in flashes we saw it in the reverse game at Stamford Bridge they can look very very dangerous and they do have players who can hurt any team not just in the Premier League but across the planet I would suggest too but at the same time this is a very young evolving side and um, Pochettino has been quick to point that out uh, at various stages of the season um, he's basically been handed a brand new squad to, to deal with at the start of the campaign and and with that there comes a a couple of hiccups along the way, but there's been more than just a couple. They've been very, very inconsistent throughout the season. So I'm finding it hard to kind of place them or know what we're going to get to see from them. But, um, you know, going to the Etihad, there's, there's no tougher assignment, you would say, apart from Anfield in world football right now. And um, it's very difficult to see them coming away with something, in my opinion. Um, you know, we've dealt with, dealt with Man City many times now in the last few weeks, but they are coming on strong for the spring. Um, I think the match in Copenhagen in midweek, Went largely to script. Um, City started like a train, really scored early, then sort of failed to sustain that momentum a little bit, gifted the goal away, but um, still managed to come out with a, a comfortable margin of victory. And despite not being at their fluent best, and you just look at the options they have available to them now in forward areas, now that everyone is fit and available, it's very difficult to assume that Chelsea defence can hold them firm like Everton did last week. I thought Everton went to the Etihad and did a very good job of frustrating. Um, they looked as comfortable as you possibly can be at the Etihad um, for, for an hour or so. And then Hardland's intervention changes the flow of the game. Um, City kind of poked and prodded them for, for an hour or so without success. Failed to have that shot on target in the first half and didn't really open them up too many times. But we've just not seen that performance from a Chelsea team too often. And I do think if they try and go toe-to-toe -to -toe with City, they'll be outgunned because City's class in forward areas is, is is more consistent at the moment than what Chelsea can bring to the table. But um, I think Chelsea would, would probably be more likely to, to be kind of more adventurous, more uh, attacking in their approach here, which I think could lead to us seeing another goal-heavy game as we saw in the reverse. And, and that's my hope anyhow, because uh, I think the first hour against Everton last week was, was pretty dull. Um, but yeah, they have been, Chelsea, defensively, a, a bit of a shambles for quite some time. Um, you know, Everton and Liverpool, sorry, Wolves and Liverpool scored four goals against them each in recent weeks. They're giving up 1.83 goals per game away. Seven of their 12 hosts 
have scored at least twice against them. So, you know, I can't see Chelsea keeping City to fewer than two goals here. Um, but um, the price that kind of stood out to me in this particular game, so City are trading at, what, 137 on the exchange? If you look at the sports book, both teams to score is four to six. So, you know, if you combine the two, City to win looks a, a pretty nailed on thing. And both teams to score, according to the sports book, is a, a pretty nailed on thing. So why not partner the two together? You're getting 2.6 on the sports book. Wow. That's despite the sports book being 166 on both teams to score. So basically a full unit bigger just to include uh, Man City to win, which um, I'd be surprised if the guys disagree uh, is the most likely scenario here. Uh, in terms of City keeping Chelsea out, they've only kept two clean sheets in the last 13 Premier League games. It's four shutouts in 21 league games going back further. Uh, and that seven does seem mad, doesn't it? For a team that we're used to dominating the Premier League in the way they have in recent years... And for the quality of defenders they have, the goalkeeper they have, that lack of clean sheets is a bit startling, isn't it? It's a head-scratcher because if you look at the underlying metrics, City, not just this season, but even last year, have been very, very strong. You know, it's just a style, really, to control matches, suffocate opponents. And doing that just allows the opposition very few opportunities in the final third to to not just score, but actually have a shot at goal, let alone, you know, convert. So, um, yeah, I mean, through the autumn and early winter, we were sort of complaining about the sort of lack of concentration, being caught out on counter-attacks, giving away goals. Edison was obviously at fault in midweek for, for that too. So perhaps they haven't already ironed it all out. And for all Chelsea's faults, they have actually scored in 16 of the last 18 league games. They've scored in 10 of 12 away. And as I said at the start, they do have quality in this team, uh, especially in forward areas. And, you know, Cole Palmer made a, a great impression in the reverse. I'm sure he'd be very eager to to repeat that um, back at the Etihad. So, um, yeah, seven of 11 visitors to the Etihad in the Premier League have scored. So um, I don't see why Chelsea can't. Um, so, yeah, I just think that leap from City to win or BTTS to 2.6 is, is just too big, really. So uh, that's what I'll be taking here. Trader, tipster and three-time Sabutio Champions League winner Emmett O'Keefe is on the show. Emmett, this ownership group has spent a billion pounds and made Chelsea worse. They've seen off Thomas Tuchel, Graham Potter, Frank Lampard. At some stage, fire's got to be turned on them rather than the coaches, hasn't it? <clears throat> Definitely, yeah. Like I think if you're, I think it's like you can debate the merits of of Pochettino, Graham Potter, and and Tuchel as as individual coaches and how how highly they rank they rank on the kind of in, in the in the hierarchy in, in Europe. I think you can all say they're probably in the top maybe ten to twelve coaches in Europe or in in in, in and around that. And if and if and if, and if all three are kind of struggling or kind of. Br- not not being able to meet expectations, you definitely definitely have to have to kind of look at the hierarchy. Like I, I do think with Chelsea though, I've been kind of waiting for them to perform with their data. I think we've been saying this all year. Like their expected goals numbers are same to Aston Villa. Like they are, like they are massively, and that they've been kind of a victim. Well, a victim. They, they, their finishing has been really bad this season, and that's why their underlying data is 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 kind of a lot better than their points. Um, obviously, part of that was with kind of Nicholas Jackson earlier in the season. I guess I'm surprised they haven't kind of. Maybe nail down their kind of front three a bit, front three a bit more. It's all a bit. There's, there's, there's a lot of kind of like as we saw Madueke off at half time against Palace. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of like the quick hook on players and kind of no no real set in stone front three. I think 
I think whatever front three they have, I think that if they can, I think Christopher Kunku and Palmer should be the kind of two nailed on starters and kind of work and kind of and kind of work from there. I think from Chelsea's point of view, if they have a realistic chance of kind of finishing the season strong, they need it. They need Kunku to stay fixed. I, I, I definitely think him and him and Palmer are, are kind of two really 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 high quality players. Um, but one thing that's also been consistent about Chelsea this season is they've collapsed away from home against yeah. against in both higher level and decent opposition. <clears throat> like when Liverpool beat them four one a few weeks ago, Liverpool were under strength. Liverpool are missing. They're missing Salah. They're missing Alex Alexander Arnold. Like um, Newcastle absolutely hammered them again. With Newcastle missing missing half a team, they've lost. Chelsea have lost by two goals to both Everton and West Ham away from home. So I think that there's no real evidence from what we've seen this season from Chelsea that 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 they'll really compete or kind of or kind of or, or, or kind of challenge City. And given the way City are playing playing their best football this season, it's I think it's very hard to see anything other than, other than a comfortable win. I, mean, I was looking at City in the handicap minus one at around ten to eleven looks fair to me. And just just one more thing on City. It's obviously Captain obvious statement that Kevin De Bruyne is incredible, but just like <laughs> he's. He's had three starts and four substitute appearances since he's came back, and he's had he's, he's seven assists in, in, in that. So in basically four and a half games, he's seven assists. Like for Man United this season, like Bruno Fernandes has leads us leads United in assists with seven, seven assists in all competitions. Like so, I think it's just <laughs> I think De Bruyne is like a fresh De Bruyne, just a scary prospect for the, for the, for the rest yeah. of the league. And I wouldn't rule him out even for the likes of PFA Player of the Year. I think as he kind of finishes strong and City and, and City close in the title. Yeah, we bandy about the term world-class quite a lot, but I think for him, it absolutely fits. Uh, talking world-class, last but not least, tipster and our resident maths whiz, Mark Stinchcombe, is with us. Stinch, solve the Chelsea puzzle for me. I have no idea how good they are. <laughs> I don't really know where you begin. Like, I think it's quite well encapsulated by their performance on uh, Monday, right? Away at Palace, they had 80% possession in the first half. And had one shot, and that's crazy, you know, isn't it? I mean, it's just completely bereft of ideas. And then second half, they go on to have thirteen shots and comfortably won out, uh, win out three one. Like you look at uh, then the week before, they lost four two at home to Wolves. Like I don't know if anybody saw that coming. Chelsea were were heavy odds on faves, so absolutely no no idea how how you kind of rate them and then I think the thing with coming up against Man City is sometimes City's games can be like a, a walkover if you like and the other team kind of effectively gives up uh, but then occasionally it does break into a bit of a bit of a battle so I think if you have an opinion one way or the other I think a bit like Emmett suggested you'd be better off taking City on the handicap for example or as Mark said City to win and both teams to score and then just accepting if they just put in a professional 1-0 or 2-0 performance sort of thing um, it's interesting uh Mentioning uh, Kevin De Bruyne because there's there's quite some nice uh, specials on the, the sports book for him providing assists. He's even he's only evens any time to provide an assist, which I'm not recommended anyone would would go uh, for simply because I think you've got the element of rotation with him being back. You know he might he might go off after an hour or something if the game's comfortable. Um, but you could back um, De Bruyne to assist Haaland at eleven to four. 
I think that's a fairly nice uh, boost. That would be the guy he's he's normally aiming for, right, when he picks the ball up. Yeah. Um, and you can also get eight to one for him to assist Phil Foden. Foden's in a, a good sort of scoring run right now. So if you, you did want to get with the star man, that would be the the perhaps the way, way I would go. Yeah, in our Champions League show a few days ago, Lewis Jones, who's recently joined the team, was talking about Foden as a 40-1 to top scorer for the Champions League, and he got another goal and uh, just made that perhaps a little bit more likely. Now, we know that injury time goals could be a pain in the pocket if they ruin your bets, and now you've got 90-minute payout to rescue you. If the clock hits 90 minutes and you've got the right result as it stands, your bet wins when the match ticks into injury time. T's and C's in the description, 18+. plus. BeGambleAware.org. Arsenal's title push continues as they go to Burnley. Emmett, I guess Burnley, to some extent, deserve credit for sticking to their principles, but they've come across as quite naive this season, and they're trying to play in the same way as a lot of Premier League teams do, but a lot of Premier League teams do it better. Yes, I I, I agree. I, I kind of I do think though. I think there's danger in abandoning your principles as well. Like I think there's like even if they if if Burnley had say gone to a more conservative pro, I don't think there's any guarantee they would have stayed up playing that way either with with the players at their disposal. So I don't think it's like I don't think it's it, it's it's the end of the world if Burnley end up going down. Stick with company and kind of learn from this experience and maybe just and and hopefully get promoted the season after and maybe have a. And, and kind of just maybe signed that bit more shrewdly, and then kind of I, 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 I don't think it's the, I don't think it's the end of the world being relegated and kind of and for a club of Burnley size, I, I don't think I don't think it's that bad. I, 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 as well, if they really feel like Vincent Company is a really good long term better manager, like they definitely should stick with him. I don't think like bringing in a a firefighter and going ten men behind the ball is, is necessarily yeah. the right thing to do either. So I'm That's kind big of big Sam up too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I kind of I'd be prepared to see I'm prepared to forgive this season for company and and we'll see if we can get them promoted from the championship and maybe maybe he comes back and and he and he's kind of a better manager for us. He could um, be the new the sh- Daniel Farker, couldn't he? Exactly. I hope hopefully slightly better than Daniel Farker. But is it oh yeah so I'm I'm in a kind of forgiving mood with, with company as well. Leeds I just think fans a- will be after you a Man United fan and slagging off Daniel Farker. Imagine that. It's just it's interesting. I do think it is interesting though that Burnley's their attacking output has improved quite a bit for get, since getting uh, David Datroff a fan on loan from Chelsea. Like in two sub appearances against City and Fulham, like he he scored two goals and assisted one goal. And I don't know if anyone watched the Burnley's trip at Liverpool. Like Fafana missed some excellent chances in that game while yeah. they get, while the match was still competitive. And I would still take that as a promising sign for Burnley in that if you have a striker who can get that level of chance away at Anfield, I still think that's promising. And it's really what they've been lacking this season. Like it's kind of if you're playing that at, at kind of attacking open style, you need to be, you need at least to be able to finish your chances and or and have a striker who's kind of a focal point. So Fafana gives them that. So I think I think Arsenal are by far the most likely winners here. But I think Burnley be, can be competitive enough to find the score sheet. Like Arsenal, they kept a clean sheet out at the, and they're hammering at West Ham last week because that was their first away clean sheet in six matches. So I think I'm getting odds against if both teams to score looks fair to me. But I think an even more appealing bet is at a bigger price here is um, we have a good kind of set piece match up here in that Arsenal have the best set-piece statistics in the Premier League with 16 goals scored. Burnley are the second worst kind of defending set-pieces with 12 goals conceded. 
And so the the obvious the obvious man here is Gabriel Magales, who's like one of the who's um already 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 scored four goals this season, and is and is kind of is is kind of racking up the shots and and the kind of shots shots on target for uh, the centre half. It's an ideal matchup for him. He's seven to one to any score any time in the sports book. I'd probably see if he can get bigger on the exchange. But I think that that looks a kind of a, a kind of a nice big price point. So I wouldn't even if you can get some fancy prices and score score two plus. I, I wouldn't put you off a small bet on that. I think it's he can, I think it's just it's, it's a it's an ideal matchup when we've seen how prolific our slip in from set pieces all season. Now, it doesn't help Burnley that their young goalkeeper James Trafford, who is a promising goalkeeper, no doubt, jumps as if he's five foot two. Uh, we've looked at Manchester City, we've looked at Arsenal. What about the other title contenders? Liverpool. They've got a game away at Brentford. Um, Mark, they've not enjoyed their trips there in the past, have they? No, uh, and this is a tricky game on paper for Liverpool, being the uh, Jurgen Klopp's favourite um, time slot, the early kickoff on Saturday away from <laughs> home. Um, it just helps that they've had a, a free midweek and it will help them too. The, the likes of Alisson, Canate, uh, Joe Gomez are all due back this weekend. Connor Bradley, I believe, too as well, which yeah. does boost them tremendously with Alexander-Arnold out again for a, a while. And, and Robertson, of course, is, is back in the fold too. So defensively, they should be pretty much close to their, their best or, or not far from it as well. And, you know, those big hitters will definitely improve standards. As as Emma alluded to last week, Burnley did have opportunities at Anfield and, and easily could have scored a, a second equaliser there or, or scored again in the first half as well. But um, you know, Liverpool lacked control and, and sort of incisiveness at times. Last weekend, um, Endo was back from the Asian Cup, uh, pushed McAllister a bit further forward. And I think that's uh, the position that will benefit both of them going forward. But um, for whatever reason, it just didn't function for them in midfield last week. So hopefully we'll see better from them this time around, if that is the preferred midfield or two of the preferred midfield three. Um, but yeah, I mean, to be honest, I thought Liverpool would be shorter than, than the 8-13 to 13 they are on the exchange, 1.62. Um they have returned 16 wins, four draws and zero defeats against sides outside of the top four. Uh, and that includes six wins from nine away at teams in fifth and below, which is very, very impressive. And they've scored at least twice in seven of those nine away days. We all know about their final third ability. Um, so, yes, of course, Brentford can cause them problems. But equally to Liverpool have more than enough about them to cause Brentford all sorts of bother. Um, this is a Bees team who have lost nine of 11 in the Premier League before winning at Wolves last weekend, winning well at Wolves last weekend too, it should be said. But that was only their third win in 12. And it was their first clean sheet since late October. Uh, Thomas Frank did say, you know, they put extra emphasis on the defence last weekend. Um, so, you know, getting the clean sheet was a, a big fillet for that. Going forward, we know now having Tony playing, scoring, um, and alongside Mopay, who's looked very good recently, he missed a few opportunities last week. But yeah, what's happened Neil to Mopay. him? What what <laughs> has happened to Neil Mopay? He's suddenly playing like Brazilian Ronaldo. What the hell? I think just having his his tag team player there and in, in Ivan Tony, they're they're both um I don't want to say the word, little brats, um, if they if you like. <laughs> um they they like getting about teams, winding them up. We saw that at Spurs Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Ivan Tony is all about the physical and, and Mope is more about the just that annoying little brother which won't go away. Um, so, yeah, I, I think they can cause problems. But ultimately, um, Brentford's issue this season has been starting strongly and being a, unable to kind of hold on to it, their leads. They've taken the lead in 17 of 23 games, but dropped 26 points this season. So, you know, that's a, a problem, especially when you come up against a, a second half side like Liverpool. So uh, not that I'm putting this up, but... Um, 
if you wanted. There's Brentford Liverpool on the half time, full time flip flop at, at 13.0, um, which could be an interesting long shot. But the, the price that does stand out to me here is Liverpool to win and under 4.5 goals, um, getting a nice boost on that Liverpool win price from 8 to 13 to evens. Um, Arsenal won at Brentford narrowly in November. City won here brilliantly recently, um, scoring three goals. And Brentford's home results. Traditionally, have been very strong, but they've taken a real nosedive this season. They've lost four and 30 at home, but more recently, they've lost four of the last six at home, um, including the last two uh, when scoring first. And, you know, when they do step up in class, Brentford have been found wanting this season, just one point from eight against the top seven. Um, then rarely, though, cut to ribbons. Um, so I think they can be competitive. If you look at their 12 defeats overall, 10 of them came alongside a, a maximum of four goals. And all of Liverpool's away days have featured fewer than five goals. Um, so, yeah, I fancy Liverpool to do a, a professional job. And I think evens on them to win another four and a half is, is more than fair. What I liked as well, uh, listeners won't get this, but when we were talking about Neil Mope, uh, Stinch did the little dart symbol as well uh, because he uh, he wound up James Madison, didn't he, Stinch? Old yeah, Madison I, didn't I, like that, did he? I don't, I don't really understand like how Neil Mope think that's some sort of rivalry when Neil Mope what went how many months without scoring a goal? It's it's a it's a bit bizarre, isn't it? I, I like it. I like it. Yappy dog energy. That's what he's got. <laughs> um, Spurs have scored in thirty six straight games in the Premier League. Their top four push continues against Wolves. Stinch. Both of these teams have reason to be confident. Maybe Wolves were the last top flight team to shut Spurs out all the way back in March 2023. Yeah, and uh, last time they met, it was pretty tight as well. But one thing that sort of did come to the boil was some bit of feistiness and a bit of a bit of tough love, if you like. And uh, yeah, last week we had a nice winner with um, Brighton and Spurs going over 4.5 cards. And yeah, just want to rinse and repeat, basically, because last week I spoke about the fact that um, Spurs and Brighton were top six for cards received. It's the same with the uh, Wolves. So we've got a nice recipe there. In <clears throat> in my mind, um, Spurs have had 61 cards now in 24 games, Wolves 65. So you're looking at 2.54 per game and 2.71. So combined well over five per match. Um, they're both also top six for tackles. So it shows that they, uh, you know, they like to get stuck in. And um, Spurs are only mid-table for, for fouls, uh, but Wolves commit the, the second most in the league. And then if you add into the fact that these two are also the top seven for most fouled sides in the league, with uh, Spurs actually top, then I think we've got a, a recipe for another feisty game, to be honest. Um, last week, we had uh, quite a poor ref uh, in terms of averages in Samuel Barrett. I think he was 3.4 cards per game. Uh, the good Damn news you, is... Barrett, in your fair-minded approach. Well, he was good for us last week because he, he managed to raise his 3.4 to 5. Um, this week, the good news is we've got the best ref in the league, which is why I want to do uh, Spurs again. We've got Anthony Taylor, who's gone, who's gone quite mad, really, cards-wise this season. He's shown 97 in 18 matches. That's a whopping 5.39 per game. Um, so yeah, it's that Mourinho thing. It's giving him <laughs> nightmares. That's what it is. Him clashing with Jose Mourinho in the Europa League final. I think he must go to bed like reading the referee's handbook. Go, oh yes, I must book him for that. I must book yeah. them for that. Um, he, he swallowed the handbook, I think, because um, he's gone a bit mad. Uh, not that we're complaining, of course. Um, the other thing I, I noticed as well, he's also given a pen 
every other game on on average. So that might be something also to look at, especially if we if we think there'll be a few fouls that will be dished out. Uh, and twice this season in games, he's given both sides a penalty as well. And that normally, you normally look at sort of 20 to 1 plus for that sort of bet as well. So that'd be one to keep an eye out on uh, a bit closer to kickoff. Um, as I mentioned last time these two met, there were seven cards. Um, so I'm going to go for over 5.5 cards here because odds against can understand maybe okay 5.5 might you might consider that sort of a, a La Liga line but uh, you know given the increase this season and and the referee involved I'm, I'm happy to back it at 23 to 20 uh, it's actually won in, in Anthony Taylor's uh, six of his last nine games so I think there's uh, plenty of uh, to look forward to in this game uh, especially on the back end of Valentine's for any of those that didn't have a very good one. Yeah, any spare cards going can be shown in this game. Uh, Mark, <laughs> Stinch chose violence. What are you choosing? Uh, I'm choosing part violence and part pro Tottenham uh, because, ah. uh, as you mentioned, their excellent goal-scoring record. Um, if you look at their, their record to score at least twice, which I seem to be mentioning every single week on this show, it's just remarkable, really. They scored at least twice in 19 of 24 Premier League games. Averaging 2.13 goals per game. And as we keep saying, it's just astonishing considering they've lost arguably their, their greatest striker in history in the summer uh, <laughs> to be putting up those numbers. Um, I, I never expected them to be this good, um, this quick, really. Um, uh, and at home, they've been very, very good. If you look at the last 11 league games, actually across all venues, they've scored at least twice in 10 of those. Only Liverpool have won more home league games than Tottenham this season. And what stood out to me really at the last weekend uh, against Brighton, where they weren't really at their best for a lot of that match, it was just the the strength of the squad now that players have returned from international duty and players have also returned from injury. You've got Son coming off the bench to make an impact, Basuma back in the fold too. So there's real competition for places in midfield alongside Saar and Bentancourt. And Madison, of course, is there now as well. And up top, whether it's Brennan Johnson scoring off the bench again, Richarlison, Timo Werner, Lo Celso's due back again this weekend too. So there's um there's plenty going for them. Now, obviously, there's always a risk with Spurs because they can be very aggressive and, and front foot and they don't keep too many clean sheets either. But um, Wolves with Delta, an enormous blow midweek with Mateus Cunha ruled out for the rest of the season. Uh, Huang, wasn't fit enough last week. He should be okay this time around. Uh, and obviously, transfer speculation surrounding Pedro Neto is is escalating with all uh, FFP problems hitting them too. So perhaps his mind might be elsewhere. Who knows, really? But um, yeah, Wolves haven't been as strong as they have been at Molyneux on their travels. And last weekend, Gary O'Neill was... Um, you know, pretty much accepting that Wolves fell way below their standards um, when losing at home to Brentford. So um, they were pretty sloppy in that game. And if they are sloppy here, um, I think Spurs will make them pay. So I do expect Spurs to score at least twice. And I think Wolves without Cunha are going to struggle to match that kind of firepower. So I'll back Tottenham to win and combine it with over 3.5 cards. Um, Stinch has already covered all the main facts there on the, on the cards. But um, just in terms of over three and a half, it's landed in 10 of Spurs' 11 home games, as well as 10 of Wolves' 12 away games, uh, with Taylor in charge. Um, and these two teams averaging at least 2.7 cards each per game. Uh, it'd be very surprising if we don't get it to at least four, and uh, if not five or six. Uh, Emmett, let's go to Italy, shall we? Atalanta against Sassuolo. He's done it again, old Giampiero Gasparini. He's rebuilt the team again. And they're going well in Serie A, and they're going well in Europe as well. Absolutely, they're they're very much a, li- a kind of a live contender for, for, for 
for the Europa League at around 25 to 1. Um, yeah, they're starting to look like the kind of football hipsters, darling again, really, with kind of the, with, with their attack, a really potent attack and a ripping through Serie A. They've scored 14 goals their last kind of four Serie A matches with kind of really good XG numbers to, ma- to, to match. Like, um, I think as you kind of alluded to there, like Gasparini is known for kind of maxing out the ability of players from, I would say, various different age brackets. Um, like people might remember that Atlanta team that kind of pushed PSG so close to the Champions League. The players like Jose Bilicic, um, go, uh, Alejandro, Alejandro Papu Gomez as well. Like they were kind of older players who he was, he was maxing out. But in, in this case, the player I'm kind of focusing on is Charlotte de Catalera, who they've got on loan from AC Milan with an option to buy it uh, at the end of the season. And he kind of, de Catalera was kind of because he's kind of a slight kind of, I don't know, he, he's a kind of a, a kind of diminutive Belgian playmaker, was obviously given the tag of the next Kevin De Bruyne. Of course. And, of course, and I actually watched him play for Belgium against um Ar- against Ireland at, at Lanzarote, Road, and, and, and he was quite impressive. But he struggled to kind of adapt in maybe a slightly more defensive um, land side last season. Only, only kind of getting getting one assist in in the league all season. It was a lot of pressure we... to deal with, wasn't it? Spent a lot of money on him. People were talking about him as you know he was going to be this, he was going to be that, and he you know play- some players just wilt. You know they're they're young players and they just can't adapt. Yeah, um, I think so as well. I think it's as well, like maybe, like the, like it's as well. I think like maybe Atlanta probably play through him more than Milan yes. will ever do. It's like this, like Rafael is always going to be this kind of straw that stirs the drink for Milan. So he and it's, and he's he's as well. He's allowed maybe given a license to kind of not not defend as much as well. So I think maybe it might. Mark's I think giggling to, to himself because you said the uh, straw that stirs the drink again. I really like that one as well. Yes. Mark's just having a little giggle to himself in the corner there. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think it's like I think maybe maybe. Ketelaer is benefiting from being the focal point of um, Atlanta's attack. He already has six goals and, and six assists, and he's kind of playing as kind of a second striker, re- really far forward. And he's actually got four goals in, in, in his in his um, in his last four Serie A matches. And against playing against a team Sassuolo, one of the one of the, one of the worst defenses in in Serie A, he looks a good, good bet to find the net again here at around seven to four. And Ketelar has really taken off since Adamona Lookman went to AFCON. Uh, and I think he's been given more of that responsibility and he's gone up a level. So you would think he'd be full of confidence going into that game. Uh, Stinch, let's take it into the EFL, shall we? Derby against Stevenage. Yeah, there's a couple of games here in the in the top six battle for uh, for promotion in League One. Uh, yeah, Derby v Stevenage. Derby are around about even money. I think um, here again, coming up against Stevenage, who are currently seventh. I think it's a case of two teams going in the in the opposite direction. Um, Derby had a really slow start to the season, but they've come alive since Halloween. I don't know if something happened on that, <laughs> but uh, it just so coincides. That's the marker, is it? Yeah. Halloween, right? <laughs> well, they okay. won since since then. They've won forty two points in the last eighteen games, and that's eight more than anybody else. Um, so really, yeah. The, the 18 games they've just been phenomenal I love um, that as a stat you know we get things like oh no team that's been bottom at Christmas has ever turned it round and avoided relegation that kind of thing I want to see Halloween start coming into that well no team that was in the top six at Halloween has ever dropped out of it that kind of thing it, it's very it's, starts here 
It's weird just because, like, you know, if you follow League One, you know Derby had a poor start to the season, but then you know now that they've just been on fire for ages and it just so happens that it was since yeah. Halloween. Well, that's that classic <laughs> post-Halloween push. We see it all the time <laughs> with teams. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, uh, yeah, on the flip side, I think Stevenage's season, bearing in mind they were promoted from League Two last season, so they're having a fantastic season to be up in the, in the promotion uh, conversation. I think the their season's sort of coming off the rails, perhaps. I don't Maybe I'm being a, a bit too harsh, but they've, it's no wins in three, again, and the last three have all been against fairly poor teams, and that includes two defeats. And in the week, they were 2-0 up at home to Bristol Rovers, but ended up collapsing to lose 3-2. Um, and when you look at them against the top six away this season, they lost, they've lost. they lost all at all of Pompey, Bolton and Barnsley, as well as at Blackpool, who sit just outside the, the playoffs. So with Derby having won 13 of their last 18 games, I, I think Derby even money is, is what I want to do, basically. And then the other game up and around the playoffs is uh, Peterborough against Blackpool. Um, similar vibe in a way. I want to get with Peterborough around about even money as well. Um, main reason being their class, in my opinion. Oh, you know the typical. They are they are the same Peterborough of like probably at least fifteen years ago. They'll obviously they'll demolish most of League One, but then they they won't. They'll find life tough in the Championship, and they'll just yo-yo. But um, also, like I think it's um, perfect opportunity to oppose Blackpool. Um, they're without Jordan Rhodes at the moment, who's got a rib injury, and he's he's having a bit of a reincarnation in terms of goal scoring. He's top goal scorer for Blackpool this season with 15 goals, um, which is enormous when you consider the next most has only got four. Uh, one of them's Jake Was he Beasley. reincarnated at Halloween? Did no, he maybe, kind of emerge maybe, maybe, kind of zombie-like yeah. at Halloween? Right, okay. Yeah. Perhaps, perhaps. That, that'd be one to look into. Um, someone once told me, um, like, oh, don't bet on such and such because it's a full moon. Um, but I've never taken that as had to have any merit whatsoever. Wow. But... Can we get this person on the podcast who so will start getting <laughs> astral tips? Brilliant. Okay. I, I think I think these people belong in the back the back pages of the star signs and and that uh, that rubbish. Good old horoscopes. Right. Yes. <laughs> don't get me started on horoscopes. That's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> Um, but yeah, one of their next top goal scorers is Jake Beasley, who also plays in attack and, and he's a big doubt because he hasn't played since December. Um, so with Jordan Rose, he accounts for 31% of their goals, which is obviously a, a huge void. And that's with him missing eight games already. So, you know, that arguably that 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 percentage could be even bigger if he was involved in, in all the games. Um, and you look at their league record this season, it's pretty decent. Uh, you know, it finds themselves in ninth, 113, drawn eight, lost 11. Uh, but without Rhodes, they've only won one of eight. But I guess more alarmingly, they failed to score in six of those eight games. So, you know, you can see where I'm going here. I think Peterborough will ultimately be able to outscore Blackpool. When they went to Cheltenham in midweek, they lost 2-0 and they only managed one shot on target. And, you know, Cheltenham were in a relegation battle. Uh, and that's that's their eighth defeat on the road this season. Um, they've got the eighth worst, rec- worst away record in the division. They've got the second best home record, so you can really see that you know they struggle. Uh, they struggle on their travels, and they do the best work uh, at Bloomfield Road. Uh, they scored just fourteen and fifteen away compared to thirty-four and seventeen at home. And I think the other key thing at this time of the year as well is consider travel and, and number of games. Peterborough had the week off, um, but Blackpool played, as I say, during midweek. It's their nineteenth game 
in the last 75 days, which is playing every four days for over two months. And wow. I just think with, with you know, down at that level, you don't have massive squads. And when you're missing your best players, I think ultimately it will take its toll. I think one of the reasons maybe we're getting perhaps an attractive price on Peterborough is because they've actually lost their last three games. Um, but three of them, those three were without uh, Kwame Poku, who's a, who's a an exciting young uh, wide player. And they were also without Mason Clark um, in the last match as well. He's actually going to join Coventry in the summer. Between these two, they've got 30 goals and assists this season. And I expect them to be back for Saturday. And as I say, Peterborough class, most possession in the league, most shots on target, um, highest expected goals. <clears throat> and they've ultimately scored the most goals in the league. So, yeah, this, this is definitely my uh, best uh, match bet of the weekend. So Halloween reincarnation. Mark, what kind of spooky glamour can you bring to Tranmere against Stockport? Uh, nothing spooky. I, I just think it could be quite fun, quite exciting, actually. Um, okay. So over two and a half goals is my selection here at 195, which just looks to be undervalued. Um, Tranmere have gone off the ball a little bit. They had a nice resurgence under Nigel Atkins, but it's four defeats and six now, they're still well clear of danger, but um, yeah, midweek was a bit of a disaster, really. They stormed into a 2-0 lead at home to Morecambe, uh, then conceded twice and then conceded a third goal in stoppage time from the penalty spot. So, coughed up a 2-0 lead to lose 3-2 at home in the last minute. means they've only kept five clean sheets all season, which is obviously not ideal when you're hosting the league leaders, Stockport, on Saturday. Stockport themselves will be smarting, I guess, after they were beaten 3-1 at home to Crewe on Tuesday, which is cut their lead at the top to just one point. Um, they've actually won just five games in the last 13 in League Two now. That goes back to mid-November. Just three clean sheets in that sample too. So uh, overs looks good and it looks even better when you look at the two teams' respective home and away records. Tranmere have scored in 14 of 16 at home. They've scored at least twice in 11 of those. 13 of those 16 have gone over. When you look at Stockport, they've only been nilled once when playing away in 14, but just two clean sheets on their travels, 12 of 14, seeing BTTS, 11 of those 14 going over two and a half goals. Big game this for Stockport, obviously, uh, being around, what, 45 minutes an hour away from the Wirral. They will get strong support, as they almost always do. I'm sure the Tramia fans will be out in force for, for this particular fixture too. And yeah, just on Stockport too, they've actually scored twice or more in 10 or 14 away too. So uh, I can see both sides contributing here and overs are close to evens. Looks uh, quite appealing. You just invented a verb, nils to nil. Somebody, is that a thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it is now, yeah. Okay. I use that quite often, do you not? You I've literally, nilled? I think I've heard you say it. And okay. I mean, I've just been reminded. I like it. No, Mark O'Hare can come up with his own words if he wants. But anyone's <laughs> allowed to. It's him. Uh, Stinch, any new words or any spooky happenings in Wickham against Oxford? Well, it's, it's kind of a... A reasonable local derby. Oxford's main rivals are Swindon, but there is there is a bit of a, a derby vibe, but I wouldn't read too much into that. Um, I want to put up a goal scorer. Generally, I try and find a, a goal scorer. And uh, yeah, this this one hit the mark here. And basically, it's uh, Oxford's um, main striker, Mark Harris, to score any time at 7-2. to two. Uh, Wickham are faves here at 6-5. to five. Oxford's slight outsiders at 2-1. to one. 
Um, but yeah, immediately piqued my interest. Um, getting the the lone striker at uh, seven to two, giving his side a, a two to one to win. He's only got nine goals in twenty nine games. It's not an awful lot to get excited about for for a lone striker. But he seems to have hit a bit of a purple patch. Um, he scored seven in his last nine in the league in the FA Cup, including six away. Uh, he's a very pacey striker, so he will he will be a threat in behind. Um, but it seems both like a, a changing manager. Uh, towards the back end of last year and, and a change in approach is, is sort of reaping dividends. He's not traditionally a number nine. Um, he's more of a, a pacey wide man, but he's kind of been converted into a striker. Um, and this season at Oxford, he's played every single game um, as a striker. Um, so I think he's maybe gradually grown into the role. He's still quite young. I think he's maybe 23, 24. So he's still quite young. He's a full Welsh international. He went to the World Cup. So it definitely got something about him. Um, he started the season quite well with three and three, but then, then he went on a, a huge barren spell. He failed to score in 18 league games in a row. Wow. Which is incredible, really. Um, but I think maybe just shows the levels, levels of belief to bounce back with um, seven and nine. Um, I mean, I think it, it got worse than not just scoring. When when the new manager came in at the end of December, he actually had a spell where six of seven games didn't even have a shot. <laughs> so um, very, very shot shy. But that's that's changed. The manager seems to have got him playing a lot closer to goal. Um, his last nine games has now seen him register 18 shots. And yeah, given his top goal scorer for Oxford and Oxford a seven to four to score over 1.5 goals, very happy to to take the seven to two on Mark Harris to score any time, and then obviously a little bit of a sprinkling on the twenty five to one for him to score two or more. Lovely stuff. Now it's time for the world famous podcast treble, which I'm led to believe Taylor Swift was sneakily listening to at the Super Bowl. How it works is each of the guys comes up with a selection ahead of the weekend's action, and then delightful traders like Emmett here wrap them up for you in a boosted treble. Emmett, we will start with you. I'll need not often you can say uh, Everton or banker material, but I think I think they are this week, and you can hear the reasoning on our uh, on our Sunday slash Monday pod. We're all obviously all all, all the cool, cool kids will be going. Exactly, bit of marketing there from Emmett. Like that very much. Sunday show coming up for you later in the week. Stinch, what have you got for us? Yeah, Peter Britt, even money, best bet in my mind on the three way this week. Lovely stuff, and Mark. Uh, go overs in Tramia versus Stockport. Okay, some glamour sprinkled into that lovely stuff. Uh, talking of glamour, it's Marco Hairs Scott Watch. Oh, aye, Scott Watch. Mark, take it away. Uh, yeah, really painful last weekend. Partick blew a two-goal lead against Livingston in the Scottish Cup to, to scupper our nicely priced 3.2 shot. But um, yeah, going Bozos. to the Scottish... <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, was, it was painful. But um, yeah, we're in the Scottish Championship this uh, Friday night, actually. It's second versus top. Um, I want to be with the away side. Um, league leaders, Dundee United, who are close to evens to win away at Wraith Rovers. Um, I think that's very interesting. Dundee United are rated... Top of almost every available metric. Their shot data has been very strong since relegation and their away form has been almost flawless, really. 11 away games 
since dropping down to the championship. Nine wins, two draws. They've conceded just three goals away from home. That's over 17 hours of football away from home, conceding just three goals, which is incredibly impressive. They are worthy league leaders. Um, I'm happy to touch base with them at, at around about evens because Wraith, their own sort of title challenge has, has kind of losing pace quite rapidly recently. They've won just once in six. They've lost three straight championship games to fall four points behind Dundee United. They've conceded 15 goals in the last six, uh, including 11 in the last four at home, all of which were winless as well, which is not ideal preparation for facing a Dundee United side who are so strong defensively and have plenty about them going forwards too. So happy to back the Friday night game, be with the away side at close to evens. Um, now, we've covered Wraith Rovers before. I'm not too sure we've weighed in heavily on Dundee United. So I had a little nose about to see what we could learn for Culture Corner. Firstly, their nickname and the origins of it. Um, you know, there's, there's a couple of nicknames flying around. So everyone knows about them as the Tangerines, also known as the Terrors or also the Arabs. So the Terrors come from how they were perceived back in the day with their on-field um, demeanour. They're apparently very, very aggressive, very physical. Um, so that's where the Terrors came from. But the Arabs... Oh, right up your um, street there, Mark. You'd have loved that. Oh, yeah. Soft spot now for Dundee United. <laughs> um, yeah, the Arabs is a, is a fascinating one, actually. Back in 1962-63, they were due to face Albion Rovers in the Scottish Cup, but the weather was really, really bad. So the pitch was almost unplayable with ice and snow. So they are apparently really desperate to get this game on. So they apparently hired a tar burner to melt the ice, but um, the pitch underneath remained really unplayable. So they had to resort to, to plan B which is basically just fill the pitch with sand, loads and loads of sand. Uh, and the story goes that there was so much sand spread across the pitch, it eventually started to look like a desert. Um, and Dundee United played so well that day, absolutely schooled Albion Rovers 3-0. They got the game on, played a blinder um, on the sand and ice pitch covered in, in sand. Uh, and the local newspaper basically said... Um, you know, they were playing like Arabs on the sand. They're as good as Arabs on the sand. And it's kind of stuck since then uh, because they were playing in white, which was how they, the old kind of colours of the Dundee United pitch. Um, but uh, yeah, they're, they're a quite a fascinating team, really. They, um, worth mentioning, they were European Cup semi-finalists as recently as 1984. UEFA Cup runners-up in 1987. Uh, and in that 87 run to the UEFA Cup final, they eliminated Barcelona. Uh, a feat I mean, they that achieved seems also. bonkers now, doesn't it? I mean, can you imagine that now? I mean, that is it's amazing. mental. I, I'm always fascinated by these kind of teams who, in my era, um, have been sort of nowhere really. Uh, so to hear how they used to compete uh, in the European stage and beat teams like Barcelona, which they did also in in 1966 in a in a different European competition, it means they're the only side in European competition to have a hundred percent winning record over Barcelona. <laughs> um, That's amazing. And yeah, I'd have that on a plaque. On every wall <laughs> of the stadium, if it I'm was... sure they probably do. I'm sure yeah, they, they do probably somewhere. do. Um, but yeah, just on Dundee. Apparently, if you're in Scotland, it is the sunniest spot in Scotland. They get more hours of sunshine than anywhere else in Scotland, which I thought was quite interesting, considering Two. it's a country dominated by sort of grey clouds and rain for the most part. But um, I thought I'd do a bit of digging. They get 1,458 hours of sunshine a year. So is that a lot? Um, I looked at London in comparison which comes in at 1675 hours. So 217 hours more in London than Dundee, which is effectively 18 days. <laughs> so yeah, it's quite a lot. <laughs> so I wouldn't be rushing to move to Dundee for the sunshine. No, absolutely not. Uh, that's all we have time for. Although I'm sure it's very nice 
before the Dundee Tourist Board gets on my case. Uh, that's all we have time for on this edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. Check out Cheltenham Only Better. We've got loads of Cheltenham preview content ahead of the festival, not only on our podcast network, but also uh, on our website, betting.betfair.com. Dot com. Remember, as Emmett's uh, very kindly mentioned already, uh, we have the Sunday show for all the cool kids. Don't be a dweeb and just listen to this. You have to listen to both. You know it by now. All of our shows, by the way, are on Betfair's new YouTube channel for non-racing content. So make sure you like and subscribe. From Emmett, from Stinch, from Mark and from me, it's goodbye for now. <laughs> 